If, uh, if you all would like to take your seats, most of you are sitting down already. We are going to go ahead and get started. The clock I'm looking at says 7 o'clock. That's the clock I'm going to use. I know it's like two minutes slow. So if you discover that, you don't need to come and tell me. I know that. So 7 o'clock, uh, we're going to start. And uh, I'm really excited to, to see you all here. You know, when I first started brainstorming about something like this, I was anticipating, maybe hoping, for 15 or 20 people. <laughs> so you have proved me wrong. Uh, as of this afternoon, there were 80 people who'd registered. Yeah. Somebody just said it's all because of me. I pray that that's not the case. Uh, you know what that tells me, though? That tells me we have people who want to take God's Word seriously and who want to learn to handle it accurately and well and responsibly for His glory. So I'm really excited about that as we move forward over the next several months uh, together to see how we all grow in our ability to, to rightly handle the Word of truth. So I want to begin tonight, maybe appropriately, with a, a reading from Scripture and then I'm going to pray, and we'll, we'll start diving into what we're going to be doing. This is from Psalm 19. The law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true. They are righteous altogether. They are more desirable than gold. Yes, much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned. In keeping them there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Acquit me of hidden faults. Also keep back your servant from presumptuous sins. Let them not rule over me, and then I will be blameless, and I shall be acquitted of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord my rock, and my redeemer. This is the word of God. Let's pray. Lord, we believe and confess with the psalmist that your word is perfect and true and sure that it restores our souls, that it causes our hearts to rejoice, that it enlightens us. And so, Lord, I pray that you would come and be our teacher and help us. As the psalmist prayed elsewhere, open our eyes that we might behold the wonderful things from your law. Help us as we 
go about our task of learning how to study the word you've given to us, that we might do it with humility, that we might do it with, with open hearts, not only to become proficient, but to be changed by it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. This is the best setup I could find. I really would prefer not to stand for two hours. I'll probably get up when I get excited so you can tell when something's going to be good. Um, so the, the first thing I want to do is some really basic stuff. I want to talk to you about what's on the table in front of you, especially want to talk about the syllabus um, and uh, what this class is going to look like. So if you'll open... Uh, the workbook, if you haven't grabbed a workbook from your table, you can grab one. If you don't have a workbook, uh, there are still some in different spots on different tables that have seats. I also have three extras up here. We couldn't print them fast enough uh, for the, the way people were, were signing up, so I think we have enough. Uh, if we don't have enough and more people come, uh, we'll print some up this week and, and have them available for you on Sunday. Uh, but I think we should be good for tonight. If you go to uh, if you go to page three, nope, that's not true. Page one, <clears throat> excuse me. Page one in your workbook. I realize I just stood up. This is not actually exciting. <laughs> so this is the syllabus. This. Uh, gives you kind of the layout of what's going to be happening in the course. I just want to walk through it quickly. Some of you have probably seen this, read, read through it before. Some of you might be looking at it for the first time. So this course is called Mining God's Word, and it's an introduction to the methodology of inductive Bible study. Uh, we're going to talk about what that means as we go, but basically inductive Bible study is careful observation of the biblical text, that leads to sound interpretation and appropriate application. So we're going to learn strategies, principles of interpretation, principles of application, and we're going to be applying them specifically to the book of Philippians. Uh, and so most of your homework is going to be in the book of Philippians. Uh, and uh, it's not a study of the book of Philippians per se. So we're not going to spend a whole lot of time talking here about all of the different theological intricacies of the book of Philippians, that if we were doing that, it would be an exposition of the book of Philippians, but that's not what we're doing. We're learning strategies for how to study the Bible. So we're going to talk about some of that stuff, but we're not going to solve all of the problems in every clause in Philippians. Um, if that disappoints you, come back in a couple years when we do an exposition of Philippians. Uh, but Philippians, as it, as it says in the syllabus, is going to be kind of the training grounds for us learning how to more accurately study the Bible. Uh, and so we're going, to, we're going to talk through a bunch of different stuff with biblical interpretation. Uh, if you look on, uh, on page, what page would that be? Page three, you've got the schedule. You can kind of see uh, the way that we're going to go about studying. Um, tonight's an introduction. Uh, we're going to do a bunch of introductory stuff, and then we're going to start stepping into what it looks like to study a book of the Bible. 
Next week, we're going to talk about the structure of a text and, and how to study it and the historical and cultural context. We're going to be talking about observation and then moving to interpretation. And, and you can, I'm not going to read it to you, but you can read uh, all that. So uh, the goal ultimately is to teach you both uh, what the principles of sound interpretation are, how, how to go about studying the Bible well, and to give you some experience in doing it so that you feel confident enough uh, to actually do it in your life. To me, this class would be an abject failure if you come for six months and learn this and you don't study the Bible for yourself. So, whether or not this class bears fruit is going to be somewhat dependent on whether or not you continue to study the Bible after we're done. Because the value isn't in the principles of interpretation that I'm teaching you. The value's in the Word of God that changes us, the instrument by which God rules in the world, His Word. And so it's only in studying the Word and interacting with the Word that we're going to be changed and that we're actually going to, to draw the things that God wants us to draw so I want to encourage you now, and I'm going to be reminding you as, as we go, to be thinking about how is this going to, to change the way that you go about your own personal spirituality as you, as you interact with God's Word. Uh, so you can read the course objectives there on page one. Uh, it's basically that uh, in a more expanded form. Top of page two, the required books. So here's uh, the course materials. So you all have the workbook here. So you need that, and you need a copy of this book. It's called Dig Deeper. You can't have this one. It's mine. We do have some still in the book booth. Michael would be happy to sell them to you uh, either afterwards or maybe in the middle tonight as we take a break or something like that. Um, I don't know how many we have left. If We have six left. So there can be a mad rush. This is like uh, Black Friday to the book booth to get a copy of Dig Deeper. Um, if you don't get a copy tonight, I have made copies of the first two chapters, or the, the introduction in the first chapter, which is what you're going to need to read for two weeks from now. So I'm gonna, I can give that to you. If you don't have a copy and you can't buy a copy tonight, I can give that to you for you to read, and then you can buy it uh, in between now and the next time we're together. Uh, so you got the workbook. Dig deeper. Now, for those of you who are just thinking, I have nothing better to do with my life. I have tons of time. And I was really hoping to do more work for this class. For the two of you that are out there. Yeah. Who are the lucky volunteers? Uh, I'm also going to recommend this book called Inductive Bible Study. Uh, I have that, that information is not on the syllabus because I just decided on it earlier this week. And these were already printed. So I have a separate sheet for you overachievers 
that has all the information about the book, the ISBN and all that, and you can enter it on Amazon and buy it there, uh, and a supplemental reading schedule so you can see when to read it uh, along with uh, the book that's required, Dig Deeper. So, now, if you don't want to read that book, that's fine. You don't need to read it. It's only for you guys who feel like you have the time and want to impress me or, you know, whatever. I'm not going to be impressed, but um, if you want to read it or if you want to buy it and just kind of have it uh, for your future reference, uh, it's a step up in terms of, well, first of all, it's thicker, you can see. Um, and it also is a bit more technical in talking about issues of interpreting the Bible. Uh, so do with that what you will. If you want it, buy it, read with us, buy it, have it for your own uh, personal library, uh, or don't buy it, and you'll be just fine. <laughs> Moving on. Uh, still on page two, uh, the requirements for the course. Students are expected to progress through lessons 2 to 12 by completing the lesson pages in a sequential order. And we're, as we go tonight, you'll see what I'm talking about with that. Uh, for each lesson's homework, a student should review the introduction, the lesson objectives, what was covered during the class session under the heading study guide, and then the student should proceed to complete the assignments listed under the heading homework, including the required readings. Each lesson's workload has been divided into five daily assignments for the convenience of the student. Uh, but the reality is that we have like 13 days between classes, so you can divide up the work however you want. Um, those five uh, divisions are suggestions, uh, and, uh, and in addition to that, there's the readings from uh, Dig Deeper that will be required as well. I will say this. Um, you could come to this class and you can come every two weeks and sit here and listen to me talk and talk with one another uh, and you might derive some benefit from it. But long term, you are going to get the most benefit from this class if you do the work. I'm not checking the work. You're not turning it into me. I'm not grading it. That would create more work for me. I'm not trying to do that. But if part of this class is designed to get you to study the Bible on your own, then having homework is actually something that is kind of a, a built-in discipline to get you used to studying the Bible on your own. And if you don't do the work, like I said, I, I'm not saying that you're not going to get anything from this course, but you're going to get far less than you could. Now, I recognize that the amount of work and the reading and all that stuff, that might be more than what you're used to. Um, you may have never done something like this before. So uh, I understand that, and like I said, I'm not checking it. Please try to make an effort to do it for your sake, for the sake of those that you're going to be talking with and discussing your work, because when we come together, one of the first things we're going to do is we're going to talk through the homework. 
at least big portions of it. And we're going to talk about them at your tables. We're going to talk about them as a large group to try to reinforce the things that we, that we talk about. I don't want to, to give you homework and then not talk through it so that you're all confused before we move on to the next, the next topic. So uh, it's going to be much better for you, particularly for the, about the first hour of every session, if you, if you do the work. Otherwise, you might be sitting there and with nothing to, nothing to contribute. Uh, I understand uh, there are times when things come up and there are busy weeks and busy seasons, and, and so I get that. Uh, I'm not going to kick you out for not doing the work. Don't worry. Uh, that's just a public service announcement for your benefit. Please do the work. You will get a lot more out of the class than you do if you just come. Okay? Glad we had this talk. Um, missing class. If you, I mean, w w one of the reasons I, I knew that there was a lot of work, I knew that coming weekly on a Tuesday night is challenging, uh, so that's why we're doing it every other week, except there's twice, you'll notice in your syllabus, there's twice that we meet back-to-back -back weeks. That's so that we're done before the 4th of July. It's <laughs> it sounds like a long way away because it's February, but um, our last meeting is June 26th. So we meet back-to-back -back March 20th and March 27th and April 24th and May 1st. So make a note of that. All right. Um, oh, I am, I think, we'll find out when we're done. I think I'm recording this. I think. So my goal is to tomorrow or Thursday post the recording from tonight and my slides on the website so that you guys have access to that. So if you miss a week, ideally you'll be able to go back and listen to the recording. Now you'll miss out on the discussion at, at a table, but you'll still get the, the lesson content and some of the, the large group discussion so it's better than nothing. Uh, and I'm giving you the slides so that you don't feel like you have to obsessively write down everything that appears up here. Uh, I know Tom says the, uh, what the, the uh, dullest pencil is better than the sharpest mind. Do you have any idea how many times I've heard that joke? <laughs> um, so, but a PDF of all the words is better than the dullest pencil. All right, so uh, I'm going to give that to you, um, and uh, so that should hopefully be on the website tomorrow or Thursday. The slides will definitely make it there. Hopefully, the recording will make it there if it exists when we're done. Uh, and any additional material that I have for you that I can put on the website, I will. Some material that I have for you, I may not be able to put on the website because of copyright restrictions. Uh, so... But for the most part, just about anything I can give to you uh, or that I will give to you in, in terms of supplemental material, uh, I'll give to you. I'll put it on the website, and uh, you'll have access to that there. Questions? Yes?
Um, the question is, how did, how did I choose this particular learning tool? So this, this workbook. Uh, it was maybe somewhat providential. We were considering doing something like this, and I got an email. I'm on an email list from uh, Bethlehem College and Seminary in Minneapolis, and uh, they had previously had a bunch of their seminary courses that they kind of pared down so that it was more accessible for the local church, and they were selling them through a website called Bible Mesh uh, that does uh, biblical training and is used in church planning and various things. And uh, I got this email that said that they were basically, they were taking all of that material, putting it into workbooks, and making it available for free to serve the church. I said, dang, I got to look at this. And when I looked at it, I thought, this is, this is the, the perfect type of material for what I want to do here. Um, partly, selfishly, it means I don't have to construct an entire class myself. I, I, can, I can go off of something. Um, but you'll notice as we go, there'll be times where I'll say, now, I don't agree with that, or we're actually not going to do that, or whatever, so it's going to have my fingerprints all over it, uh, but it gave me a structure to start with, uh, and as I, as I worked through it, I thought, yeah, this is wonderful. This is great, basic, biblical interpretation, uh, and uh, it's from a trusted source. Bethlehem College and Seminary is a wonderful school, um, and I think their website is on the front. If you don't believe me, you can uh, bcsmn.edu. So you can go there and check them out. Uh, they are affiliated with Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis. That was the church that John Piper was the pastor of for 30 years. And Jason Myers, now the pastor of John Piper, is the chancellor of Bethlehem College and Seminary, just to kind of give you a flavor of what we're stepping into. Uh, so uh, I really like it. There are things about it that I don't necessarily agree with, but that is literally everything that I haven't written. There are things I disagree with, except for the Bible. Don't send me an email. Um, so uh, that's, that's why we have it. And uh, in the future, maybe we'll use it. Maybe we'll use something different. We'll see. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, is there a reason, uh, so if you notice on the syllabus, uh, on page two, I said the uh, required books, one, uh, one required book I skipped over, uh, which I should, I should be penalized for because of how important it is, uh, an English version of the Bible, unless English is not your first language, in which case you can have a first language version of the Bible. Josh, I'm looking at you. Uh, so... Why the NASB, I said preferably the NASB, the New American Standard Bible, or the, the ESV, the English Standard Version. Um, why the NASB? It's the version we use here to preach from. It's the version that I'm using. Uh, why the ESV? It's the version they use in the, in the guide. So those are the reasons those two. Now, lesson like eight, so several months from now, we're going to talk about translations and translation theory, and how different translations bring out different parts of the text, and, and all of that stuff. 
Um, if you don't have an NASB or an ESV, that's okay. Uh, you can still do the class if you're using a King James or a New King James or an NIV or a Christian Standard Bible. Uh, I would probably say if you're using the, either the NLT, the New Living Translation, or the Message, I would say probably you want to acquire another Bible for this class. And we'll talk about why it has to do with the translation theory of those translations. That's correct. So, and uh, that, that's a good point. I always, I always complain to my professors about how they write this, the, the syllabi, and, and uh, so is this to be completed for the class or after the class? So think about reading it left to right, 2-6, lesson one, and then after that, here's the homework you do. So the homework to the right of the lesson on page three of your syllabus is the homework you complete after that lesson. So for the next time we're together, uh, I will expect you to have completed pages 15 to 30 in the workbook and have read pages 11 to 26 in Dig Deeper in preparation for lesson two. Good? Good. Okay. Anything else? Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, that's up to you. I, yeah. Yeah. So if, um, I don't want to make you go and buy a new Bible or anything. Yeah. So, yeah. So, if you have an NASB, I would recommend bringing that one because that's the one I'm using. So, it will be easier for you to follow along. If you don't have an NASB, we have stacks of them that, that I can bring out and, and you can use for the time we're here together. The, the blue hardback ones we pass out on Sundays. Um, so, if you already own a Bible... Um, please don't take that one home. That's for people who like, don't have Bibles. But as long as you're here, you're, you're free to use them. Um, so, good. Yeah. Sure. That's, I'm, I'm fine with that. Uh, I will assume if you're looking at your phone, uh, I'm going to assume if you're looking at your phone, you're reading the Bible, you're not tweeting or Facebooking, or YouTubing, or whatever else you guys do these days, Instagramming. Um, yeah, that's fine. That's fine. Um, and that actually will give you access more rapidly to multiple translations. Uh, so, but if you're not looking at it digitally, that's fine. You're going to be just fine. Okay, um, I just realized I didn't load the right version of this. Let me see if I can make this happen. 
I was very proud of myself for being able to uh, use my iPad to project this. Aren't you impressed? Yeah, aren't you impressed? Okay. Uh, so, first thing I want to do then right now is real quick. There are people across the spectrum uh, of uh, length of time being a Christian and amount of experience studying the Bible that are taking this class. So, there are people that are taking it maybe who have never studied the Bible before, and this is literally the first time that they've ever thought through, how do I actually read this book? There are people who here who have been studying the Bible for a long time and want a refresher, uh, want to learn more. So I'm going to do my best to make this as accessible to everybody as possible uh, and yet still have it be challenging uh, for those of you who maybe have heard this stuff before and, and, and want to learn more. Uh, so, But there are going to be some times when I want to be really specific and, and basic to make sure everybody's on the same page. So I'm just going to assume for the next five minutes that none of you have ever looked at a Bible before so that we're all on the same page uh, with this. Uh, I realize if you uh, have, have been reading the Bible for a long time, if you've been a believer for a long time, this is going to seem very basic. You are free to sit back and look at the ceiling for a while if you'd like. Uh, but we're just going to go over uh, when you look at a page of the Bible, what do you see? Uh, and, and there are a couple of reasons this is important, because depending on the kind of Bible you have, you could have all sorts of other stuff on the page in front of you. All right? So, first thing, this big number here. You like that? Yeah. I'm so proud of myself. That big number is the chapter, right? So when we say, uh, this is from the book of Acts, when we say Acts 21, it's the book, Acts 21, the chapter. And then if we put a colon after it, at the beginning of a verse, there's a little number, like these. That's the verse number. So Acts 21-2, Acts 21-3, Acts 21-4, and so forth. That's how we find stuff in the Bible. The chapter numbers and verse numbers are not given by inspiration of God. They are put there by people to help us find our way around the Bible. Uh, they are helpful for that. They can be distinctly unhelpful sometimes because they make you think that there's a break in what's going on in the text when actually... They were never a part of the text originally. And so when there's a break some places, you mean to think, oh, well, now he's moving on to something, to something different. Well, that may not be the case. Uh, so now, they are really helpful so that we can identify where we are in Scripture and so forth. But uh, remember, they're not inspired, right? Uh, one thing I would, I would recommend to all of you just for your personal benefit uh, is there are a couple different Bibles that have come out recently that have removed all the chapter and verse numbers. So it's just the Bible. Uh, there's one uh, by Crossway, the ESV Reader's Bible. Uh, there's one that uh, 
B&H just put out the Christian Standard Bible uh, readers, the CSB Readers Bible. The NIV has one. Um, those are the three I remember off the top of my head. So I can get you that information if that's something you're interested in. Uh, I would recommend it just for your personal reading. It gives you a different experience. It's not quite as choppy, uh, and you're reading it as it was originally given. So it's pretty cool. Uh, then you've got all this other stuff uh, on the page. So for the most part, the Bibles you read are probably going to have that stuff on the page. Some Bibles are going to have other things. So if there's, uh, and every Bible does it a little bit differently. So we're just, this is just the one we're looking at. So I'm going to zoom in here. Uh, this little S before the word we, that's a cross-reference. So over here in the column, you see uh, chapter 21, verse 1, and then the S, and it says see chapter 16, verse 10. So some Bible editors put these things in to help you think about how certain Scripture connects to other Scripture. Uh, so... Here they want you to go and see in chapter 16, verse 10, uh, I think the point is uh, here, uh, Luke is saying when we had done this, 16.10 is the first time in the book of Acts that Luke refers to what's going on in a, in a first-person pronoun. So that's the first place that Luke was actually with Paul. So he's pointing you back to that. So you also have stuff on the page. Here, I'm going to erase this one. At the end of a verse or at the end of a word, sometimes you get another number. In this Bible, it's italicized. Uh, that's a footnote. So that's something the editors want you to see down here. Footnote one is, is telling you that there are some ancient manuscripts uh, that add the words and Myra at the end of the sentence. So they're, just, they're kind of doing their homework and they're saying, just so you know, there are some other ancient manuscripts that we have that add this. We don't think they're reliable enough to actually put it in the text, uh, but there are some that have that. Uh, that's a whole discussion of, about textual criticism. We're not going to talk about that uh, at all in this course. I can give you books to read if you really want. Oh, what happened? Oh, no. I don't think so. I think the computer might have gone to sleep. Stand by. All right. Now we're back in business. Sorry about that. I'm not sure what happened. Now, there's one more thing I want to point out on, uh, on this because it's going to be important as we go and we're, and we're doing interpretation. Most Bibles... Uh, that I have seen, with the exception of these ones that remove the verse numbers, uh, also include this. It says Paul goes to Jerusalem. It's called a subhead, a subheading. It's something the editors put in to help you locate things in the Bible. So you think about going into the Gospels, and there'll be a subhead that says the parable of the sower or the parable of this or that. It's to help you quickly locate things in the text. I think they're profoundly unhelpful, and I wish all Bibles would get rid of them, because I think they lead people into poor interpretation. So when I ask you what the point of a, of a particular passage is, 
we are prone to go to the subhead and say, well, that's the point. That's what the, the passage is teaching. I'm saying, no, that's just, that's just like what's going on to give you an idea of where you are in the text. It's not, it's not actually helping you interpret the Bible. Uh, so use them to help you find your way around. Don't use them to help you interpret, right? The only thing that we are concerned about interpreting is all the letters that are surrounded by all these things. That's what's given by inspiration of God. So that's what we care about. Good? Okay. All right. So I want you to take a few minutes now and talk with those at your table uh, about these two questions, and then we're going to come back together and, and, and talk about them. So take about, about five minutes or so. Why should we learn to study the Bible? Why are you willing to give up two hours on a Tuesday night to come here and learn how to study the Bible? And then what are some of the reasons that people don't study the Bible? Because there are lots of them. So talk about that at your tables, uh, about five minutes, and then we'll come back together and uh, talk about that a little bit as a group. Okay, let's, uh, let's bring it back together here. I apologize for the technical difficulties. You remember how excited I was about being able to project my iPad? Can uh, remind me that the book of Proverbs says pride comes before the fall. Hopefully, it will continue to work. If it doesn't work, I have a PowerPoint. I'll just project it, and it will be a lame version of what I was going to do. Hopefully, in subsequent weeks, we can figure it out. Uh, so, why should we learn to study the Bible? Okay, it's the Word of God. Okay, to know God's will. Yeah. Amen. We get to know God better. Yeah, to be convicted in our sins. It's usually not one that people uh, like to do. Like, gosh, I can't wait for a good conviction. That's great. But that's so true. Say again? Yeah, how to run our lives. Yep. How to imitate Christ. Amen. Learn to appreciate His promises. Right? So we can evangelize. We, uh, we can't tell people uh, anything true about Christ or the gospel if we don't know what the Word of God says about the gospel. That's right. Brett, so it, I'm not going to repeat that. So we can correct it, not to be misled. That's right. Yeah. So we can teach and instruct our children, right? That's commanded. You read Psalm 78. It's all about. Uh, how God has given this word to Israel and how he's, he's performed these mighty acts of redemption in order that parents might train their children, that they might know the Lord and follow him. Now, there's lots of good reasons why we study the Bible. Why don't people study the Bible? Okay, they're not saved. So that would be a good reason to not study the Bible. 
You're not going to study the Bible if you don't think it's important to study. Yeah, Scott. It's too convicting. All right, so that goes with you read the Bible to get convicted, but sometimes it's too convicting, so I don't want to read it. Yep, yeah. I don't think it's reliable, so something about the character of the Bible itself. Like, well, if, if it's not true, if it's not reliable, why is it any different than reading some other book? Yeah, sure. That's right. I don't know if you remember, where, where, uh, Sherry said it's, we're spiritually lazy. I think that's absolutely a huge part of it. Uh, one of my favorite quotes when we talk about studying the Bible is from a British pastor named A.W. Pink. You might know him. He wrote a book called The Sovereignty of God. And, uh, but one of Pink's sayings was, no verse of Scripture yields its meaning to lazy people. If you want to know what the Bible means but you don't want to work at it, don't expect to know what the Bible means. And if you're not working at it and you think you know what the Bible means, you may be wrong. Why else don't people study the Bible? It's too long. Yep. It's confusing. It's very foreign. A lot of it, right? Yeah, a lot of people don't think it applies to today, right? We're preaching through numbers. Tom's talking about offerings and, and tests for adultery where women drink dirt and it, it determines whether or not they actually committed adultery, right? You hear a couple of weeks ago and you heard this sermon. Now, of course, we believe it's, it's applicable to today, but of course, people will read it and they'll look at texts like this, like, how in the world does this have any bearing on my life right now? Say again? They didn't grow up learning to read the Bible. So, so yeah, so much of uh, the habits that we form in our lives are, are, are instilled in us when we're children. And so, for a lot of people, learning how to carefully study the Bible is something that they don't even get a start to until later in life when they're converted. In fact, it's something, we're going to look at a verse in a minute, um, it's something that Paul uh, seems to tell Timothy to be profoundly thankful for, that from Timothy's youth, he has known the Scriptures, that he was instructed in them by his mother and his grandmother. What a blessing. But it's never too late. Right, Diane? Some people say it's too late. No, you can't teach an old dog new tricks. I'm not going to do that. Yeah. 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 We are, we have an enemy who doesn't want us to read scripture, to know what's true. He's a, he's a deceiver. And so he, uh, he does his work by, if you think about the beginning of the Bible and the fall, Genesis 3, what's the first thing that Satan says to Eve? Did God really say the first temptation is Satan instilling doubt in humanity about the truthfulness of God's 
word. You think it's important for us to know it? Yeah. Well, we're going to move on now. Um, I want to I take you through quickly some texts in Scripture that give us uh, an idea of why we ought to be studying uh, the Bible. So this is broken down into, into two parts. First of all, why the Bible? Why the Bible and not some other book? Now, I think you all have answered that already, but if you want a verse for it, here it is, 2 Timothy 3, 15 to 17. Paul is talking to Timothy. From childhood, Timothy, you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man or person uh, of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So there are a bunch of reasons here that we're given why it's studying the Bible as opposed to some other book or work of uh, you know, theology or something that might be very beneficial, but why is it the Bible that ought to hold pride of place in our lives? Charles Spurgeon said, visit many good books, but live in the Bible. If you've ever seen my office, you know I take his advice very seriously. I visit many, many good books, much to my wife's chagrin. But live in the Bible. So we see that the Bible can make us wise for salvation. It shows us the gospel. It teaches us who God is, who we are in relationship to Him, how we need to be redeemed and what, what that looks like, who our Redeemer is. We must trust Christ to be saved. We should study the Bible because it's God's Word. We're going to talk about this in a second, that all Scripture is breathed out by God. Because it's profitable Right? Those who would say it has no relevance for my life or it's, it's old or it doesn't make any difference now, the Bible's testimony about itself is that it's, it is profitable. Uh, we could take time and, and work through those, those words, teaching, reproof, correction, training, and righteousness, and talk about what those mean. Ultimately, the idea is that the Bible is valuable to give us instruction in what we should and shouldn't believe and what we should and shouldn't do. Doctrine and practice. The Bible leads us into spiritual maturity so that the man of God may be complete. And it equips us for some good works. Every good work. There's nothing that God will require of you that you will not be taught about in Scripture. So why should we study the Bible, right? So that's why we study the Bible. That's why the Bible should be the subject. But why should we study it? Look at 2 Timothy 2.7. Paul says to Timothy, Consider what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. So Paul tells Timothy to think over to dwell on, to meditate on Scripture. God has not promised 
to give special understanding to simply to those who, who look at the Bible without taking the time to seriously think about and study it. Paul says, the Lord will give you understanding. It's a promise. But it's conditional. Paul says, consider what I say. Consider these things that I'm writing to you. And the Lord will give you understanding. We're going to take a quick commercial break so I can fix this. And uh, we'll be right back. All right. Okay. We, uh, we should be good to go now for the rest of the evening. I'm no longer using my iPad. I'm going to cry about it when I go home, but I'll just save that for later. Um, okay. So we're told to consider what God says, and here it's what God says through Paul, and the Lord will give us understanding, but it comes as we consider it. It doesn't just come randomly. Paul also tells Timothy to be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. We don't drift into it. It's something we have to be diligent and disciplined to do. And this verse means that if Paul is telling Timothy that he needs to be diligent to do this, that it's possible for him to be ashamed because he doesn't accurately handle the word of truth. It means it's possible to be a poor interpreter of the Bible who's not an approved workman. So if we want to be useful to God, we ought to devote ourselves to studying the word carefully. In 1 Timothy 1, 6 and 7, this is one of my favorite verses. I love this. Uh, Certain persons by swerving from these, these things that uh, Paul's been talking about, these commands, have wandered away into vain discussion, desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they are saying or the things about which they make confident assertions. What does that teach us about why it's important for us to study the Bible? Okay, to know what's counterfeit, right? So we know when people are saying things that's like, well, that's, no, I don't think so. What else? That's right, so that we know what we're talking about. So that we're not the people wandering away into vain discussion because we think we can understand and teach the Bible, but we actually don't understand what we're saying and make such confident assertions about. You've been around these people who make very grandiose assertions about, well, of course this is what the Bible says, and then you actually go home and you look at it and you're like, that is 100% not what the Bible says. Where in the world did they come up with that? Or how about this? This is another great verse. Second Peter three fifteen to 17. Our beloved brother Paul, this is Peter writing, our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given him, wrote to you, as also in all his letters, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to understand, which the untaught and unstable distort as they also do the rest of the Scriptures to their own destruction. You, therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, be on your guards so that you're not carried away by the error of unprincipled men and fall from your own steadfastness. There's a couple things in here. Why, why ought we devote ourselves to studying the Bible based on this text?
There are things in the Bible that are hard to understand. Doesn't it comfort you that Peter wrote that about Paul? Have you ever read Paul's letters? There are things that are hard to understand. I take great comfort in the fact that an apostle said there are things that are hard to understand in the Bible. So there's things that are hard to understand. Why else? Yeah. You don't want to fall uh, from your own faith. You don't want to be, uh, like Peter says, carried away by the errors of unprincipled men. You don't want to be carried away by false teaching. It's also important because these things that are hard to understand, people use and twist and distort and make say whatever they want to say to their own destruction. You read in the book of Deuteronomy or the book of Revelation about uh, the, uh, the curses for adding to or taking away from God's Word. That's serious. Yeah, Dean. <laughs> yeah. That's right. You hear your stories about people saying, I so desperately want to hear God's voice and they sit there with their Bibles closed. This is it. This is God speaking to you. You know what he's going to say when you ask him, God, I, I just want you to speak to me. You know what he's going to say? Read my book. I wrote you a book. I read it. No, 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 I don't want to do that. I want one just for me. No, read the book. Then I want to look at briefly Ezra. Ezra 7, 9, and 10. The good hand of his God was upon him, for Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to practice it and to teach his statutes and ordinances to Israel. So, what does Ezra teach us about why we ought to, to study the Bible? Okay, it's the law of the Lord. Yeah, there, there are three things that Ezra did. He studied the law, he practiced it, and he taught it to others. So we study the Bible that we might not simply know it, but that we might practice it like the Apostle James says that we are to be doers of the word and not hearers only, and so deceive ourselves. And then teach it to others. If every Christian is a minister of the gospel, then you are commissioned by the Lord Jesus to be a teacher of his word to other believers. Now, that doesn't mean that everybody is going to have a teaching office in the church like pastor or elder, or that you are going to, or that you have the gift of teaching. But Paul expects in Romans 15 that all Christians are able to instruct one another. If we're going to instruct one another well, then 
We better know the course material. So. All right. Quickly now, I'm just going gonna, gonna to buzz through these. This is not a course in theology, so if you want to argue with me about theology, we can do that a different time. Um, these doctrines kind of set the guidelines for, as we approach the Word of God, these are the presuppositions we're coming with, right? So we're not going to spend a lot of time working through each of these different doctrinal points, but from where we are as a church, from where I am teaching, this is, this is what we assume about the Bible, and, and uh, that will shape how we study it. So, uh, I, again, I'm going to post all this online uh, so don't try to write uh, all this down. Uh, first doctrine, the doctrine of inspiration. I have a couple just definitions that I'll give you on these pages. Inspiration is the special work of the Holy Spirit by which he superintended the biblical authors as they composed their writings and so ensured that what they wrote was what God wanted them to write. So we believe the Bible is inspired. That doesn't mean it's inspirational. That means the Bible is God's Word in the same way that God speaking from heaven is God's Word. The Bible is exactly what God wants it to be, every word uh, down to, as Jesus will talk about in the Sermon on the Mount, he, he says, every jot and tittle means every smallest stroke is exactly what God wants it to be. See that in 2 Peter 1, 20 and 21, no prophecy of Scripture comes from one's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of men, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Inerrancy. Inerrancy is in, in many ways very related to inspiration. If the Bible is God's word and God cannot lie, then the Bible cannot lie. The Bible is true in everything that it affirms and never affirms anything contrary to fact. David Dockery, who's the president of Trinity Evangelical Divinity School, the flagship school for the Evangelical Free Church, says the Bible, in its original manuscripts, properly interpreted will be found to be truthful and faithful in all that it affirms concerning the areas of life, faith, and practice. Jesus said it this way, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. It's altogether reliable. The doctrine of sufficiency believe the Bible is sufficient. It provides everything that people need to be saved, everything that Christians need to please God fully. See that in 2 Peter 1, 3, and 4, that God, His divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and excellence by these things he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises. 
Oh, I didn't do that. See, this is the problem now of not having uh, matched up. The Bible is, is sufficient. We don't need more words from God. Clarity. Uh, the, um, the doctrine of clarity. In the old days, this used to be called the doctrine of perspicuity. That word is ironically very unclear. <laughs> so we call it the doctrine of clarity. And the doctrine of clarity is Scripture. Scripture is clear and comprehensible to all Christians who possess the normal acquired ability to read texts, though it doesn't mean that Scripture is necessarily easy to understand. And Wayne Grudem um, simplifies it a little bit. The Bible is written in such a way that its teachings are able to be understood by all who read it, seeking God's help and willing to follow it. You don't have to be a special class of super Christian or clergy or something like that in order to interpret the Bible. If you love Jesus and you want to submit to him and you're willing to put in the effort, you can understand the Bible. It's possible. The doctrine of authority. Again, this is, this is related to the fact that Scripture is the Word of God. Scripture possesses the right to command what believers are to do and to prohibit what they are not to do. Because God is its author, Scripture possesses divine authority. Again, Wayne Grudem simplifies a little bit and says, All words in Scripture are God's in such a way that, they, that to disbelieve or disobey any word of Scripture is to disbelieve or disobey God. The Bible is the highest authority for all matters of faith and practice. That's why we preach from it every week. That's why we are always saying, what does the Scripture say? In the uh, Evangelical Free Church, the, uh, some of the founders of the Evangelical Free Church used the, uh, the phrase, where stands it written? When somebody came to challenge them about some of their beliefs and say, well, no, you, need, you actually need to believe this about this issue or this about this issue, they would say, where stands it written? Show me the text. Show me where it says I have to do that or I can't do that. If it's not there, you can't bind my conscience to it. Then the doctrine of necessity. Scripture is not an optional thing. We, we need it. It's essential for us to know the way of salvation, for progressing in godliness, and for discerning God's will. Without Scripture, there can be no salvation, growth in holiness, or knowledge of God's will. I think the book of Romans talks about how there are some things that people, that God reveals generally. General revelation. They can know God exists and that He's powerful and divine, and they, they can have a sense uh, that, they are, that they are accountable to Him. 
But unless God specifically reveals himself in special ways, specific ways, then we can't know anything about how to be saved. We can't know anything about what God requires. But God, in his infinite mercy, chooses to, as, as one uh, pastor talked uh, about it, kind of stoop to our level like a father coming to talk to his son and talks to us in language we can understand. Carl Henry, who was a, an evangelical leader in the mid-20th century, said, if we humans are to say anything authentic about God, we can do so only on the basis of divine self-revelation. All other God talk is conjectural. When somebody says, I think God is like this, or I think God is like that, or I think this or that. As you, as you press down into that, oftentimes you'll find that the reason that they're saying that is because, well, that's just what I think. Of course, that's what everybody knows. It's that God is just like this, or God is just like that, or this is the way the world is, and so forth. The reality is, unless God had revealed himself, we could, could say all that, but God has revealed himself. And so he's given us what we need to know about who he is, about who we are, and so forth. People will say, well, it's, it's arrogant for you to think that that your way is the only way or that you know this thing about God that nobody else knows. Say, it's only arrogant if the Bible's not inspired. If the Bible is God's word, it's not arrogant, it's just true. Now, if the Bible's not inspired, you're right, then we're just making stuff up. But if it's, if it's inspired, then to, to reject it is to reject what God says about himself. Two more quickly. Illumination. The doctrine of illumination. The work of the Holy Spirit by which he enables the understanding of Scripture by enlightening its readers. Basically, we, we come to Scripture and it's not only a mechanical process where you, um, you put in all of these principles of interpretation and you grind it all together and out comes an interpretation of the Bible. The Holy Spirit is involved. The Bible is not simply uh, a, a, a dead book that we're just studying like we study any other thing. The Bible is living and active, and God's Spirit is at work through His Word in your heart as you read it to help give you understanding. That's why when we, we pray, as I mentioned before in the Psalms, we pray, open my eyes that I might behold wonderful things from your law. It's a prayer for illumination. Saying, Holy Spirit, come help me understand this text. And lastly, Scripture's transforming power. Scripture, like I said, is not merely the written record of God's revelation in the past, it's the instrument through which He acts in the present. The Word of God is living and active sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. As we read and interact with Scripture, we are expecting that God is going to use it to change us. 
That the word of God is the means by which the Holy Spirit chooses to transform his people. That's eight doctrines that kind of give you a, uh, a framework for as we approach this book, those are the assumptions that I'm making about what this is. All right? If you want to learn more about that, come back next year when we do systematic theology. And we'll talk about that. We're not going to talk about that more uh, right now. Um, real quick, it's possible for us to study the Bible, right? The doctrine of clarity says you can understand the Bible. It's God's word. God's given it to us. He wants us to understand it. He wants us to consider it. But there are a lot of challenges. We talked about the, the Bible is a very foreign book. There are a lot of things that are hard to understand. Uh, and so, real quick, I want to give you some of those, some of the things that are challenging, and then we're going to uh, skip ahead and, and uh, get into our, our workbook uh, for tonight. One of the challenges, so you have historical challenges, uh, you have uh, literary challenges, and you have personal challenges. So, historical challenges. Uh, time. This happened a long time ago, right? We're, we're about 2,000 years removed from when this stuff happened. And so it's a different time. It's a different place. There's geographical differences. They're far removed from where we live, from where most people who are interpreting the Bible live. And especially culture. You ever visited a foreign country and thought, why do they do that? What the heck does that mean? Remember when I moved to Lancaster from Ohio, and then previous to that, the suburbs of Chicago, they did things differently in Lancaster. They talked different. They had different traditions. You eat pork and sauerkraut on New Year's Day. That wasn't a thing in Chicago. I moved there like, we've got to have pork and sauerkraut. I'm like, why? Well, it's New Year's Day. Why? <laughs> well, that's just what you do. It's a different place. The Bible, the Bible... It's a different place. It's a different culture. They do things differently. And so if we approach it thinking that we're going to understand everything that they do and it's just like the way that we do it, we're going to come up with some really weird interpretations. And then there's, there's literary challenges. The Bible's written in different languages. The Old Testament's written in Hebrew and Aramaic. The New Testament's written in Greek. And so the way that they say things is different than the way that we say things give you an example. In Hebrew, the way that you say that you're angry is your nose is burning. Now, you're probably not going to read that in the Bible because our translators say, that doesn't make any sense in English. So we're going to say what it says in English. To say you're, you're patient and you're slow to anger, like God says, I'm slow to anger. Literally in Hebrew, it's I am long of nose. I have a long nose. It means I'm, my nose does not burn easily. Now imagine you're reading the Bible as a 21st century American and thinking, God's got a long nose. Well, the kind of interpretations you're going to come up with that. Now we have translations, but then our translations differ. So what does that look like? We're going to talk about that. So that's a challenge. Genre. 
the type of literature that it is. There are many types of literature that the, the Bible uses. Some of them we're somewhat familiar with. We generally know what to do with something like a narrative, a story, historical narrative. We, we kind of know what to do with something like a letter. Um, but there's other things that are really difficult. Apocalyptic literature. Have you ever tried to read Revelation? It's a different type of literature. It's a very specific type of ancient literature that has specific conventions. Same thing with Hebrew poetry. Hebrew poetry doesn't rhyme. It doesn't rhyme in English. It doesn't rhyme in Hebrew. So there's a different way that they do poetry. So there's all these different genres. And so we have to learn to to understand what the Bible is teaching in these various types of literature if we're going to understand it well. And uh, if our expectations are that they're going to fit our categories for what all these types of literature are, then we're going to have some disappointment when we read and we find that's not actually what the Bible's doing. Right? We're used to in, in uh, historical narratives, we'll read it and we're expecting to read like we're reading in the newspaper, where it's just, well, this happened and this happened and this happened and everything gets fact-checked and all, you know, all this stuff and we're used to that kind of journalistic precision. And we read the Bible, we're like, they don't seem to be terribly concerned about chronological order sometimes. What does it mean? It's false. It just means that they, they understand the way that they construct historical narratives differently. So we've got to think through some of that stuff. And then there's personal challenges. The first, over-familiarity. Right? We can assume for a variety of reasons, maybe because we've been reading the Bible for a long time or whatever, that we know what it means. We become so familiar with it that we assume we know what it says without careful study. We're, we skip over things easily. Um, example that uh, we've used here before, I think, is you know, around Christmas time. I like, to, I like to have fun with my family. It's fun for me. It's less fun for them. Um, I give them a, a little quiz about how well do you know the Christmas story? Right? It's something we're so used to. How many wise men were there? It doesn't say. Somebody's cheating. We're always saying three, right? Well, it's three wise men. Why? Well, because that's what's in my nativity set. <laughs> not, a, not a great way to interpret the Bible. Um, yeah, normally we say, well, there's three wise men because they brought three kinds of gifts. But it actually doesn't say that there were three wise men. It just says there were wise men, plural, more than one. There could have been two, there could have been 20, there could have been 50,000. We have no idea. Probably not 50,000, Jim, but, but we don't know. So we become so familiar with it that we can easily look over things that the Bible actually doesn't say. We can begin to read things into it. It's what I call uh, Bible mirages. It's like you think you see it there, but it's not actually there. And we make theological assumptions, and so we begin, we read our text, we read a, a passage of Scripture, and because of the, the, the theology that we already have, and we all have a, a theology and understanding of God and the way that things work, we assume that that passage of Scripture fits into our theology. Now, the more biblical your theology is, the more that's probably true. 
But we always must be willing to be corrected by the Bible. Right? Charles Spurgeon once preached a sermon. Uh, Spurgeon, a famous evangelist. He was a Calvinist, and he preached a sermon calling all people to trust in Christ because Christ died for all people. Some of his Calvinist, really hyper-Calvinist friends, uh, rebuked him for it. And uh, Spurgeon's response was, this is what the text says. He said, I have a high regard for orthodoxy, but my regard for inspiration is far higher. People accused him of being inconsistent. He's like, who am I to be consistent with myself 100% of the time? I would rather find myself to be consistent with the Word of God than consistent with myself. That should be our attitude going in. We should be willing to be corrected by what Scripture says. And then our sin. We're proud and lazy and dumb. That's a hurdle. We're prone to believe what we want to believe. We're prone to look at the text and say, well, that's hard for me to believe, so it can't mean that. Rather than submitting ourselves to God and saying, God, I don't understand what this means. Help me understand it and help me love it. We're proud and we're unwilling to be corrected by Scripture because we know better. So those are some challenges we have to Bible study. And and so as we are going, hopefully we're going to be learning how to work around some of those challenges. Some of them, like our sin, we will need God's help for. Well, all of them will need God's help for. Uh, I was going to have some fun, but we're, we're starting to run a little bit short on time. Uh, so whether you think you have one or not, everybody has a method by which they study the Bible, just like everybody has theology. It's like, oh, I don't, I don't really think about theology. Well, that's a type of theology. Um, Everybody has a method of study. Your, uh, if your method of study is just I flip open my Bible and I just read whatever, whatever it lands on and then, uh, it, uh, and then I just, it means whatever I think it means, that's a method of Bible study. It's a pretty bad method of Bible study, but it's a method. So uh, I'm not going to walk you through all of these. We can talk about these later if you want, uh, but they're kind of fun. So Everybody has a method of study. What I want to do and what, what our workbook's going to do as we, as we work through this class together is teach you what we think is, is the best method of Bible study, the one that has historically been most accepted uh, by the church, the one that's, uh, that most of the people uh, that we look to as, as theological and, and, and uh, biblical uh, examples, the one that they uh, will be looking at. So we can talk about that. Uh, it's uh, oika. Oh, it sounds Greek. O-I-C-A. Um, some of you might be familiar with the, uh, the method O-I-A. You heard that? Observation, interpretation, application. So I just added a C in there because I had to make it my own. Um, this is the basic method that we're going to be learning for the next six 
whatever, five, six months. Um, when we come to interpret the Bible, we're asking these questions. These questions kind of form the whole superstructure for everything that we're going to do. Observation, we're looking at a text and we're saying, what does it say? What's actually there? We need to make careful observations, which means we're going to be poring over the text. We're going to be picking it apart. We're going to be, we're going to be asking, why do these words fit here and here? And why does he say this? And then interpretation. Once we, we observe the text and we get kind of all the pieces on the table like a jigsaw puzzle, and we say, well, what does it mean? Now, I'm going to give you a, uh, a sneak preview of when we, I think maybe the next time we're together, we're going to talk about meaning. Um, the Bible does not mean what it means to you. Okay? Here's your instruction. Never, ever, 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 ever say to somebody, well, what does this text mean to you? Or, well, this is what it means to me. You may be very well-intentioned in that, but the reality is there's one meaning in the text. There's the meaning that God has for the text. It doesn't mean whatever you think it means. It doesn't mean things to different people. It means one thing. Now, there may be a myriad of applications that are specific to you. It may have different implications for your life, but what it means is what God intends it to mean. It means what it meant. There's one meaning. All right? So, I never want to hear any of you say, well, this is what this text means to me. What does it mean to you? It's bad interpretation. I'm just telling you that right now. Correlation. So, this is the, this is the one I added. How does it fit? How does it fit with the rest of Scripture? How does it how does it fit into the flow of redemptive history? How does Scripture, other Scripture, help us understand what this passage is teaching? The Bible is not just a collection of random phrases. There's one divine author who's orchestrating the whole thing. So, yes, it's okay. Correlation? Um, so, we're going to talk about several different types of context. So, so there's, yeah, so there's historical context, there's literary context, and then there's what we would call theological or canonical context. So, that's what we're talking about here. How does this fit with the rest of what the Bible teaches? It's a type of context. So, we're going to talk about that as we go. And then application. Why does it matter? We stop just with the first three, then we might very well understand what it means and, and be able to give a very eloquent lecture about, about a particular text. But if we're not thinking through what are the implications that this text and its one meaning has for my life, then we're not allowing the Spirit of God to do, our, to do His work in us. Right? Remember, Ezra studied the law of the Lord and he practiced it came with the intention not just to learn but to change. That's God's agenda in your life is to use the Word of God to change you, to become more like Christ. So, 
uh, we're going to use, uh, you can read through this in, in your book, we're going to use this method to study books of the Bible. We think that's the best way to, to study the Bible, is not to study it in, in little pieces, but to study whole books of the Bible. Why do you think that is? Why, why, is it more, why would it be more beneficial to study a whole book of the Bible than just little isolated passages? Yeah, done. Context, okay? Yep. That's right. We, we, if I were to open this book up and just start reading you uh, some passages and say, okay, now tell me what that means. You're like, well, I have no idea where you are. I have no idea what the subject is. I have no idea what's going on. So when we flip open the Bible and just begin to read, we need to think through well, what's, what's actually going on here. So we're going to learn uh, how to use this method of Bible study to study a whole, whole book of the Bible. Yep, keeps everything in context. Um, so the first step uh, really, and this is, we go to page, uh, here we're on page eight of your, um, of your study guide, is this, I, this is profound, okay? So, you know, buckle your seatbelts. The first step is to read. You may want to write that one down. Particularly if a book that you're studying is a shorter book, one that you, can, that you really can read, you want to read it several times over. If you're studying uh, the book of Jeremiah, which is 52 chapters long, it, that might be a bit more daunting. But you want to familiarize yourself with the text. So read it over and over and over again. Read it several times through. Start making notes about things you notice, repeated ideas, questions that you might have about the text. And this is all just in preparation for starting to go through the book. And so if we do a Bible study, normally the first session of the Bible study is going to be, let's talk about the background of this book. What's going on? What's the historical context? Why was this book written? Who wrote it? All of these things. So... In the book, as you're reading through it, you're looking for key information about the book itself, the author, the audience, the occasion, the purpose of the book. We're going to define those here in a second. At this point when you're studying the Bible, it is best for you not to use a study Bible or a commentary. Study Bibles and commentaries are wonderful and fine, and I commend them to you. But uh, if you want to learn how to study the Bible well, you need to start doing it for yourself first. So when you study the Bible, you can use study aids and commentaries and different things, um, but there will be a different place in the process where you want to bring those in. It's later when you're trying to make sure you're not a heretic. Um, 
or when you reach a particularly thorny issue that you're like, I have no clue what this means. Uh, so you want to start by looking in the book itself to see what does this teach us about the author. This is going to be easier in some books than others. Um, and, uh, and particularly in the letters of the New Testament, it's pretty easy. It usually starts by saying Paul or Peter. or t- t- It gives you the author. gives you the recipient. So that's pretty easy. There are other books where it's not nearly as easy. It just kind of starts. It really doesn't tell you anything about the author. Sometimes the author is going to be important. Sometimes the author is not going to be that important. Um, so as you're doing background study, that's what we would call this, uh, and this information is on, so this is on page like 10, 11, Maybe it's not. Well, anyway, the author um, author is who wrote, either an individual or more than one person, who wrote the book. And the audience or the recipients are who's originally going to be the recipient of the book, who's, who's getting it, who's reading it. On page 12 of your study guide, they offer these definitions for these, these things, occasion and purpose. just want to familiarize yourself with those because they're going to use those terms as we go. We talk about the book's occasion. We're talking about the situation or events that prompt the author to compose the book. So, what leads the author to write the book? Again, sometimes you're going to get really specific things as you read through the book. They're going to tell you this is why. Um, sometimes you won't. We can talk as we go about what you do then. And then the purpose. What does the author hope to accomplish in writing the book? What, what's the reason he's writing it? So some books, again, will be very specific about this. The Gospel of John has a purpose statement at the end. I have written these things to you that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. That's the reason John wrote the book. He, same thing in 1 John. Um, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. John apparently was very fond of telling us why he was writing. For that we are thankful. Others don't necessarily tell us why. So we have to do a little bit more digging. So, uh, here's what we're going to do. There's actually three parts to this exercise, but I'm very long-winded. I I should have known that. Um, On pages 9 and 10 of your study guide, the whole book of Philemon is printed. It's a whopping, like, 25 verses long, the whole book. Uh, while we're together in class, a lot of the times we're going to be looking at Philemon as kind of, it's very convenient because it's so short, and we're going to be trying to practice some of the concepts of what we're doing in Philemon, and then you're going to take those and apply them to Philippians when you do your homework, okay? So here's what I want you to do. I want you to start by reading Philemon, 
shouldn't take you that long. And then I want you to make notes as you go. Uh, you can highlight or draw little squiggly lines or do whatever you want about what do we learn about the author, what do we learn about the recipients, what do we learn about the situation or the events that prompt the author to write, so what's the occasion, and what do we learn about what the author wants this writing to accomplish, what effect does he want it to have. Right, so you're looking at author, audience, occasion, and purpose. I'm going to stick these back up here so you can see that. And then on pages 11 and 12 and 13, uh, you've got these boxes that they've given you to, to write down some of this stuff. So I should take the next seven minutes or so to just work through that and uh, just read through it and you can read through it as a, as a table if you'd like and start making notes. What do we, what do we learn about, about the author? Just start making some observations. What do, you, what do you see about him? What does he tell us about himself? What does he tell us about, about his recipients? What does he tell us about why he's writing and what he wants to accomplish? All right, and then we'll, we'll come back together and we'll talk about that for a few minutes before we, before we close. Good? All right, I hate to do this to you. Don't worry, I won't take off any points if you didn't finish. It's a short book, but there's a lot to see. If nothing else, maybe that's a good lesson to, to go home with tonight, is that even, even the smallest books in the Bible have a lot that you can pick apart. Remember, as we're, as we're doing this, we're just starting to make observations about the text. Right? We're looking at, at the background, but we're also familiarizing ourselves with the book. And so, at this point, we're not necessarily thinking about interpretation. We just want to get all the pieces out on the table, and then we can start moving them around and seeing how they fit together. All right, so what do we learn about the author? Paul. What, what else do we learn about the author? Okay. He's in prison. He's an old man, whatever that means. Okay, he's writing the letter himself. Where do you see that? My own hand. Yeah. Might be a challenge for him. What else do we learn about him? Yeah, this is an interesting thing. He says, I, I consider myself the father of Onesimus in, in, in verse 10. I appeal to you for my child, Onesimus, whom I've begotten in my imprisonment. And so, you should ask, what does he mean by that? To, to think about that. Okay.
Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we learned something that Paul, Paul has some kind of authority. Now, understand, of course, when we, we read the rest of the New Testament, we learn all sorts of other things about Paul, and so we have all of that in the back of our mind, but we're just asking, but what does this letter say? What does this text say? What is this text teaching us? Yeah, he remembered them in his prayer, so Paul apparently praying for them. He's willing to take on Onesimus' debt. And that's a good observation. He, he says that, but then that leads to some interpretive questions. What debt? First of all, who's, who's Onesimus and what debt does he owe? And what does Paul mean on the charge it to my account? What does that mean? So Now, we're not answering those questions yet, but we're just getting those questions out saying, as we study, these are some of the questions we want to try to think through. So, what about the audience? Who's receiving this? Okay, Philemon? Athia? Archippus? And the church in his house, right? So, the book's called the letter to Philemon, but it's really to more than just Philemon. Right, so this is probably going to be read to the, to the church there. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What do you learn about the occasion? Okay, something about restoring a relationship. a great question. There's actually a pretty cool answer to that, but I'm not going to give it away. You'll have to come back. You'll have to ask. But we're asking the question, what does he mean that Onesimus was useless? Seems like kind of a mad thing to say. Hmm? Mm-hmm. Okay. Sure. Yeah. Yep. So that's uh, so. What you're doing is you're you're taking an observation, saying, "Okay, he said there was a time he's away, and now you're starting to to think through the implications for interpretation." So he was away, and he was useless, but now he's not. So how do those things fit together? Right? You're skipping ahead. Stop doing that. I'm just kidding. <laughs> yes, Scott. Yeah, some of the things he says, the tone of his letter communicates that there's a fond, some kind of fond relationship that he has with these people. He's very grateful to them. Seems like he really knows them, right? Some of Paul's other letters, he, he definitely does not know the people he's writing to. He even kind of says that. It's like, you've never seen me face to face. Here, it seems like they know each other. So, I'm sorry that we're going to have to wrap it up now because it's 8.58, which means it's actually like 9. But I'm going off of that clock, so that's what we're doing. Um, in, in subsequent weeks, 
I'm going to talk less, and you're going to read and talk more. Deal? Uh, for just the sake of having to get together everything and the syllabus and all the kind of groundwork this morning, or this morning, you can tell I'm, I, how used I am to being here. Um, this evening is more, I uh, was a little bit more heavy on, on the, uh, the upfront instruction. I want as we go for it to be more interactive. I realize that's a bit more difficult given uh, the size of the class, but as we were talking about before the class, it's a good problem to have. Uh, I wasn't expecting you, but now that you're here, I got to put up with you. And I figure out how to make it work. But I love you, so it's done in love. Yeah, so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to post the slides tomorrow on the, on the website. I'm going to go home and go to bed. Is that okay? <laughs> I'm going to post them tomorrow. It'll be, uh, I will send out an email to everybody who's on the, the distribution list uh, that gives you the link to where that's going to be. I hope that we've been recording. If not, well, it's going to go the way of my, my beautiful you know, iPad slides. Uh, so hopefully that will be up tomorrow as well, so I can uh, get you guys all that information uh, then. So your homework, so that we're, everybody's clear, read, uh, dig deeper, pages 11 to 26, complete the workbook, pages 15 to 30. If you have questions, please contact me. Don't sit there and think, I have no idea what I'm doing, and, and then just come well, I, I tried to go through it, but it was too confusing. Please contact me. I would be more than happy to help you. Okay? Um, for this one, probably the reading first, because it's going gonna, it's gonna to go over some of the stuff that we, we talked about, so it's going to reinforce that. Um, generally speaking, it doesn't necessarily matter. Um, and uh, so... It's 9 o'clock. You give me two more minutes. Is that okay? Two minutes? As you can tell, uh, I am planning on using all two hours every time we meet. So plan accordingly. Uh, there may be some times where we'll be done early depending on, on how things go. I scheduled two hours. I'm planning on using all two hours. Okay? Um, the next class is Tuesday, February 20th. It's two weeks from today. Uh, so you've got your workbooks. If you need a book, we've still got a couple. We've got four books. So stampede back to the book booth and uh, buy that. If you can't get one tonight, if they're sold out, I have the first two chapters right here. I made 15 copies. I hope that's enough. If not, I'll go down and print you out some more. Uh, and you can uh, order the book yourself, or we'll get some more, and, and you can buy them. You know, maybe we'll have some uh, by Sunday. Uh, so any, oh, and also, if you want the, uh, the, the supplemental overachiever reading, uh, here's uh, that. I'm going to leave these back there on the table by the door. You can pick them up if you want them. Does anybody have any questions before we're done? Yes. Oh, sure. Yeah. 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 
yeah, if you, if you can get this book as an audio book somehow, go for it. Yeah, sure. Oh, yeah. I even pulled it up on my phone so I wouldn't forget, and then my phone turned off. Uh, for ladies, sorry guys, this isn't for you. Uh, ladies, if you are interested, Janet and Cheryl are doing a study on the off weeks, so they'll be meeting next week, same time, same place, uh, and um, they're going to be uh, as kind of in relation to this study, going to clarify some of the things we're learning here, talk through particular applications, and particularly as you go through Philippians in your homework, uh, seeking to kind of work that into your lives more and encouraging one another in prayer and community, called making it, make it personal, right? Uh, so if you are interested in being a part of that group that's meeting, just ladies, you can go see Janet and Cheryl, or you can find information about that on the website uh, under our small groups or uh, women's Bible studies tab. Guys, sorry, there's nothing for you. Good? Okay, thank you. You can come up and... (laughs) 